Welcome to the Mobile Dev Memo Podcast. I am your host, Eric Sufert. Last month at the Mobile Apps Unlocked Conference in Las Vegas, I had the great privilege and pleasure of recording the first ever live episode of the Mobile Dev Memo Podcast in the form of a panel. The title of the panel was Platform Changes and Their Lasting Impact on Mobile App Distribution and Payments, and the participants were myself, Allison Schiff, who is the managing editor of Ad Exchanger and who served as something of a podcast host, David Bernard from RevenueCat, and Josh Burns from FunPlus. We discussed the various legal and regulatory interventions on mobile app store platform policy and the ways in which the platform operators are responding to those, as well as the ways in which developers should think about how their businesses will change as these platform policies evolve over time. I had a lot of fun recording this live version of the Mobile Dev Memo podcast, and I hope to do it again at another conference. My interlocutors provided for a fascinating discussion, so I want to thank Allison, David, and Josh for participating. And I hope you enjoy this very unique episode of the Mobile Dev Memo podcast. Thanks for listening. So yeah, so we are here to talk about App Store platform and policy changes and uh, the impact they're, they're going to have on app distribution and payment. And this is a live recording of your podcast, Eric. Usually you host it. I'm going to kind of host it this time, if that's okay with you. Sounds good. I get to relax. I mean, you're going to be on the spot a little bit. But um, but yes, I am Allison Schiff. I'm the managing editor of Ad Exchanger. And um, and yeah, Eric, David, and, and Josh. So I'm just going to tee up our conversation quickly. Um, so with some notable exceptions, Apple and Google charge developers 30% for in-app purchases made through app stores. Everybody you know, knows that. But you know, antitrust scrutiny is on. The heat is on. Um, some of the cracks are starting to show. But like none of this stuff is going to magically even the playing field or make distribution easier. And I think a lot of people have magical thinking about this. But the devil is definitely in the details. So, um, so yeah, so let's start out by talking about some of the ways that we're seeing publishers try and operate within what are some pretty tight platform policy restraints on using external payment systems and like where is there today some wiggle room? So I don't know, Eric, if you want to start and then, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think, so uh, just to, by way of introduction, my name's Eric. Uh, I run the website Mobile Dev Memo. Um, have sort of spent my career as an operator in the mobile space, and now I run a, um, a venture fund. Um, you know, the, the the sort of dirty little secret, and it's interesting because this is this this is being undermined right now. As I think the the tide is is turning on the platform control of of payments was that a lot of app developers were already sort of accepting payments off platform, right? Like if you look at any, especially in gaming, especially in game, well, actually I would say, especially in subscriptions, but also in gaming, right? So if you talk to any like big game developer that didn't make casual games, but had more like, had published content more on the core side, um, especially anything that had like a very strong live ops cadence, guild based, PVP based, they, there was like an outreach program to the most, you know, sort of engaged players, highest value players, that was web-based and email-based, right? Because these games, you know, uh, uh, collected an e collected emails in a way that was organic to the gameplay experience, right? In a way that you couldn't do in a casual game. But you collect someone's email, right? You see that they're a high value player, you see that they're in a competitive guild, they're playing a lot, 
Then you send him an email and you say, hey, look, we've got a, a Slack group for our top guilds. Why don't you join the Slack group? Or you say, oh, we've got a WhatsApp group for the top guild, guild leaders. Why don't you join that? Um, or we just have a forum, right? We have a web forum. And why don't you join that? And then you join the forum, you join the Slack group or whatever. And it's like, hey, you know, um, you can buy gems in bulk on the web. We have a web store. You don't have to buy them through the app. You can buy them right through the web store. And, you can and wire, you know, wire 100 grand directly. <laughs> well, no, I mean, what you, you know, they didn't do that, but at least that, not to my knowledge. But, but you could buy this stuff through the web. So that existed, and that's existed for a while. And you know, for subscriptions, I mean, it was even more blatant, right? You, a lot of subscription services prior to any of this pressure that has been put on Apple and Google were running web acquisition campaigns. I mean, Netflix, right? Well, yeah, but that's, that's a specific, we, we get to that in a second. I'm talking about like your run-of-the-mill, kind of like calm, headspace, right. uh, you know. Um, yeah, and there were specific patterns built around that, especially in the subscription space, like calm, if you didn't convert on the app store. And th this is where I think things are going to continue to go, is that your low-hanging fruit, you capture in the app store, and then you send them an email the next day, like, hey, yeah. you know, 20% off to subscribe on the web. Right. And like, there, there was a whole playbook around yeah, that. Yeah, there, there was a drip, there was a drip campaign. And so just, just to kind of finish the thought, so like this stuff has been happening for a long time, right? And I think what's, what, what we're seeing now is that, okay, because of the pressure on the platforms, Apple's going after those use cases, right? And they're actually starting to enforce some of the rules that they kind of didn't enforce before where they looked the other way because they really do need to get more control over this, right? So like they, the, the, the probably the most, Prominent example is like maybe two, three weeks ago, Marvel Contest of Champions, uh, which Scopely, they got the wrist slapped, right? Stri Marvel Strike Force. Mar Marvel Strike Force, that's right. Got the, uh, Scopely, the, the publisher, got its wrist slapped because they were doing just that. They had, you know, the sort of, uh, you know, behind the scenes, um, web-based uh, store that, that totally sidestepped, you know, the platform payment. So my sense is like, developers, I guess my the bigger point to answer your question, developers are doing this for a long time. Um, you know, the walls are kind of closing in. There's an antitrust bill that's probably going to get voted on very soon. Open uh, um, App Markets Act, right? Uh, no, no, it's Markets like, no, no, it's, uh, it's Amy Klobuchar sponsored. Oh, she yes. just pushed it through. The, she just did a press conference today. Yeah, there's multiple, but the DMA in Europe is, is definitely going to get passed too, which will break things up a little bit. But anyway, so the question is like, then how do they exert control when that happens? And I think that's, that's a really interesting question. We see... We see examples of that in the Netherlands, right? There's a whole case there with the uh, competition authority where Apple is basically just saying, yeah, okay, well, you can take uh, payments on the web, but we're going to make it really, really difficult for you, and we're basically going to make it impossible um, to, to sort of square the economics. So I think the interesting thing will be, do things actually get worse for developers when the app economy opens up, right? Because those avenues that they you know, utilized before become non-viable, and the, the sort of off-platform payment options are also kind of non-viable because there's a bunch of different frictions that are implemented. It's a huge yeah. bummer, Eric. And so uh, I can talk a little bit to gaming. So I'm, I'm at Fun Plus. Uh, I worked in the gaming industry for a long time back doing Facebook Canvas when we actually started with an open platform that then closed on us in terms of payment and distribution. So I think, you know, touch on some of the points Eric made. I think, you know, developers have been doing uh, external payment for since the beginning of the store, especially in more emerging markets where the payment coverage is very limited. So essentially having like a user identity, you could go to the web, log in, and then top up your account with local payments. That's been happening forever. Uh, and that's mostly gone under the radar because it's in markets that aren't necessarily a focus for these stores. I think what we're seeing now with like this, some of the larger companies like a Scopely, Playtica, uh, Plarium is basically offering like a PC client version or a web version 
you know, which people play, but potentially acts as a Trojan horse to then push people to that uh, platform to then transact. So that's a, a bit more less friction than some of the higher touch stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, it definitely works. So when you have like, I think, well, what some of the problems is if you just build the store and you try to push people out of the iOS store to transact. But if you have a game, then theoretically it's, you know, people are playing the game. And so it's a little bit of a gray area, but, uh, you know, if you look at like the earnings for these, some of these companies like Playtika and whatnot, there's a, and you look versus like some of the app intelligence, there's a pretty big gap in the revenue. So these guys are already capturing like a meaningful amount. Uh, that's compliant uh, in most cases. Um, but, uh, you know, I think as we look to like cross gaming being cross platform, you know, this is a big part of it is reducing that that revenue share. Play, Playtika particularly, you know, they published earnings and they their portfolio skews heavily towards social casino. And, um, you know, if you looked at just their uh, bookings, they were down year over year, right? Which is a big, a big deal to be down year over year. But overall, the revenue is up because of the DTC business, right? Which is, you know, directly pulling people onto their platform, monetizing them there. Yeah, and then uh, for those of you on the on the podcast, I'm David with Revenue Cat, and so we've been talking to a lot of our customers about this as well. We've we've supported Stripe since the very beginning, um, and more and more of the people we talk to, specifically because of app tracking, transparency, and we'll probably get to this later, but they've been pushing web to app more and more and more because you still get uh, you know user level conversion stats on the web. But I will say, and you kind of alluded to it in your in your uh, opening remarks that. There really is still a lot of magical thinking about it. Like there, I mean, we're talking to a customer right now who's really frustrated with Stripe because there's a lot of work. You have to have a, a fairly big team to do web payments well, and then you need to remit the taxes. Uh, Stripe's getting better about collecting taxes. There are other services like uh, Paddle and others that do merchant of record. And it's kind of a big can of worms. And some of the magical thinking is, oh, we'll just like Stripe is like three lines of code. We'll set up a web view and like, we'll just push all our revenue there. It's like, no. Oh, it's 3%, not 30, that's it. No. It's yeah, it's, it's not at all that. And then the other thing too is like, when I do talk to developers who, who do have a meaningful web presence, it's like, oh my gosh, like conversion's amazing and like retention's amazing. And then I start to ask follow-up questions like, well, what, what traffic are you sending there? Like, oh, well, that's where we send all our win-back campaigns. So it's like, so you have somebody who's already really bought in and you offer them a discount, you send them to the web, well, yeah, your conversions are gonna be better with a 50% discount. And so when you like really start to get into the details, uh, I, I think it's gonna be a huge part of monetization moving forward and apps should absolutely be exploring web payments, but the devil really is in the details that it's not just this magical save 20% on every payment, it's you gotta look at the conversions, you gotta look at the retention, you gotta look at, you know, if you're sending your high in, highest intent users there and saying the conversion's amazing, you're, you're, you're fooling yourself to think that, that it really is making you 27% back. And so I think over the next few years, as developers explore it more and more, and th there is a lot of wiggle room. Like I talked to a developer this week that I won't name, where they um, uh, did a remote update, where they actually had web checkout inside the app temporarily just to see, um, and it didn't perform that great. It performed well enough where you know they might do it. Um, and so when you're talking about wiggle room, there's a lot of developers doing things like, uh, technically, if you collect an email in an app, you can, uh, email them and send them off 
the the app store and that's allowed by apple now that's that was new. just changed yeah, yeah. That, that is um, new right that's very new like very new like in the last six months old or something. yeah something like that um but others are actually sending push notifications like hey 50 percent off and it's a push notification and it takes them right to the web that's technically against apple's rules but that's the other kind of uh, uh not so secret secret among yeah. app developers is that Apple has a really hard time enforcing this. And when they do, that's just a slap on the wrist, which is really frustrating because those of us who, and so I'm, I'm also an app developer. I came to Revenue Cat as a customer and then ended up joining. And so I still operate apps. And those of us who, who try and play by the rules are, are operating handicapped compared to those who don't mind skirting the rules. And then Apple takes a pretty soft touch in enforcing them if they even do, because so many of these things are so hard to enforce. So to answer your, your very first question, there's a ton of wiggle room. It just depends on like how comfortable you are breaking the rules and suffering the consequences. So I mean, personally, I wouldn't recommend violating Apple's rules because they can sometimes come down hard. But there's a lot of people out there already doing all sorts of stuff that you'd be surprised uh, once you talk to them. Can can walk walk people through the process of doing in-app web payments? Because I think everyone might not be familiar with what that what that entails. Well, I mean, so you you technically cannot do in-app web payments. Uh, that's against Apple's rules. But, Hypothetically, but you, you know what I'm talking. I mean, like loading yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. So so what they do is they 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 put together through Firebase or there's many you know apps now that are doing remote UI config. Um, and so you remotely push a change to your paywall that instead of having a button that takes you to the uh, Apple payment, it takes you to the web. And so you can remotely configure those things and swap them in real time and do A-B and do even sophisticated A-B testing. And you know, if you get caught, I'm sure Apple will have some pretty strong words for you. Well, we, we know it happens when you get caught because Fortnite got caught. Well, a but that, was a, that was a very different situation, though, because Fortnite. They pushed I mean, it. Right? They, they made it happen. And they made it public. And it was a, yeah. a clearly. It was a PR campaign. It was a PR well, it, campaign. I mean, they, they, and a lawsuit. They would not have been kicked off the law. I don't think they would have been kicked off the App Store. It wouldn't have turned out the way they did, except for the PR campaign and the lawsuit. But the lawsuit was ready to go. I mean, they didn't. Craft yeah, no, no. That. It was a whole plan. Yeah, no, yeah. It, was, it was Project Liberty, right? That, yeah. was a, that was a scheme. But it was like in in effect, right? The what they exposed to the user is what yeah. you just described. Yeah, right? yeah, so they did the exact same yeah. thing. Yeah. So uh, let's pretend that external payments is an opportunity, right? I mean, I know. No, it is legitimately an. Oh, okay. You mean in app? Yes. yes. Okay. Um, I think it's going to look different for different publisher categories, right? Like you have casual games, freemium games. That's a lot different than you know, like I brought up Netflix. You know, a subscription app. So yeah, I mean, how does the external payment opportunity look like for different categories? I would assume freemium apps don't really have um, much of an opportunity. They're the least likely to benefit um, if they're going to reroute their revenue through um, an alternate alternate payment processor. Like they have to give a discount on an in-app purchase that's probably a dollar or something. I mean nobody's really going to leave the App Store for that um, because the native system is just uh, sort of streamlined. Yeah, I mean, I can talk a little bit about gaming because I think, you know, uh, the, the difference between gaming and a lot of these subscription utility apps is, one, you have a higher price point that is happening much less frequently. A lot of times it's very, like, uh, you know, tier one country focused. So if you think about, like, casual games, you have these, you know, two, three dollar transactions that are happening 
you know, frankly, like an impulse purchase, right? So friction is a huge thing. So you add any additional steps to the process, like having to create a login if you're using a different payment processor and they don't have any type of user and credit card. Yeah, you, you have to log, you have to register your credit card, and then you know, and the and the thing that annoys me is people talk, oh, it's, you know, Stripe is three percent, but it's not. It's like three percent plus like thirty cents. So suddenly your three dollar thing, you know, plus the administrative overhead of yeah, collecting yeah, yeah. and remitting taxes. You have to handle all to manage that. it, and, and, the, and the people because we did this on Facebook. We had this like cobbled together patchwork of like a million different payments for like every country in the world, and. It was a lot of effort to manage all the logistics of refunding people and customer support and people not getting what they needed to get. Um, so, you know, I think there's the direct, I think the direct out-of-pocket stuff, which is like again what touched on, and then the, the people costs. And then when you add in the friction, this is where I'm I'm not as bullish for especially like mass market gaming. I think for yes, for like wit, you know, super high spenders, this kind of stuff totally makes sense. And that's what a lot of these companies are doing, is focusing their efforts on. Uh, you know, how do I shift the power curve of revenue from these customers to a lower, you know, lower fee? Um, so I'll let you guys talk about the other categories. But I think for gaming, especially mass market, I think the, and then, you you know, these stores are still going to want something. So yeah. Well, that's, I think there's a couple things here. One is, um, the, and there's a concrete example that we can point to, like, like in the Netherlands. Yeah, the 27% right? still. Well, right? so but forget 27%. <laughs> forget, yeah, and I, if you didn't see it, I made a meme video of this guy, and the meme is you've seen you've seen the meme template. It's chuckles, the guy with or no giggles, teeth. giggles. No it's teeth, a guy. it's it's a Mexican man, and he's laughing a lot. And you superimpose text over the bottom. I made a meme video of this related to the Netherlands situation with Apple. I think it's funny. <laughs> it, it's amusing. It was hilarious. It didn't get as many views as I I thought it deserved, but I thought it was funny. It's very niche. It's niche. It's niche audience. Very very limited audience for that. And, but anyway, but there's there's a very specific example that we can point to, right? So Stripe in the Netherlands, it was something like uh, it was a little bit less than three percent or something, but uh, it, it was like one point five. I can't remember the percentage. The percentage was fairly low, but there was a flat fee that they also charged on each transaction. It was something like thirty euro cents. And so if you're talking about a 99 cent IAP, well, there you go. You've already lost the game, right? You've already lost the plot. Just you're getting like the higher valued IAPs. Right now, I was talking to a friend of mine who was in gaming before um, and now is at Bumble. And Bumble has like a lifetime tier. He was showing me. Um, like you pay like five, 300 bucks or something and you get full premium access for life. So yeah, fine. They're probably looking for off-platform payment options because they want to skip the 30% on that. Right, and if they're paying, you know, whatever three percent plus thirty cents to Stripe, they're still winning a lot, right? So there's there's the the magnitude of the price point, um, but the other thing, and something that people don't think about, but kind of you know to to sort of dovetail with your point, is like refunds are a pain to manage, and if you don't uh, refund people's refund requests quickly, they get they, they get angry, Ooh, yeah, and they go on Trustpilot and they start trashing your app, and then you, and then you've got a problem. Right, or they go on the app store and they start trashing your app. Right, didn't refund my didn't refund my payment. This is a scam, and that's a real phenomenon. And like, you know what it takes to deal with refund requests? People. It takes a customer service team that's on this twenty four seven, and it's it's actually very very painful to do that. Um, and I think a lot of people don't 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 realize that. And also, like to Josh's point, you know, the the especially with especially very casual games. You know, you're talking ninety nine cent IAPs, like ninety nine cent maybe dollar ninety nine, but cheap. And and it is an impulse buy. That's that. It's the it's the 
you know, National Enquirer and, you know, bubblegum rack at the grocery store, right? And the second, it's not even like just the friction of clicking out and having to input your credit card. It's the choice. If you give person, a person more than one choice, they think about it for more than a, a one hundredth of a second. And if they think about it for more than a hundredth of a second, they decide, you know what? I don't need these gems. Like, I'm okay. I don't need to buy this. This is fine. Um, and you really, that's, that's your job as a, as a game developer is to sort of alleviate the mental burden of thinking through the purchase. Because if, if they think about it, it you're going to reduce the conversion rate. Yeah, and and I think on the on the subscription app space, and then to speaking to to your question of what is this going to look like, and what are the opportunities if if we do have web app in app web payments in apps, um, I think we've kind of seen what the future of that's going to look like in the Google Spotify, um, I don't know, settlement ish Agre agreement, agreement. Part partnership. It's like a partnership because yeah. they're going to have more than I Spotify mean, in there. They were no, just they, like they will, but but I mean, it was just really clear that it was it was acquiescing to such a large company. So so for those of you not familiar, um, uh, Google created this deadline saying you must have in-app purchases um, in your app, and of course Spotify, you know, they don't have the margins to really support the thirty percent. Uh, although now 15% on Google side, which I'm, at some point would love to see Apple match the 15% on, on subscriptions like anyways. Like the one thing they're not in lockstep on. Yeah. Yeah. So, just a clever, that's 15, so Google went to 15% year one sub fee. Subscription, yeah. Whereas Apple's, Apple's still 30% 30. year one and 15 after. Yeah. And, and so, so what, what the compromise was is, you know, of course, they're in a lawsuit, I believe in the EU, between Spotify and Google. And so rather than forcing Spotify off the platform <laughs> or forcing Spotify into in-app purchase the way they intended, the compromise in the middle of the lawsuit was that they're building some kind of UI where there's going to be like Google Play billing button and then Spotify billing button. And, it's, and they're building like a whole like SDK around being able to show multiple payment options inside of the app. And so I would imagine as regulation gets pushed forward, that kind of a compromise is what we're going to see. And so it's not going to be exclusively web. It's not going to be exclusively um, uh, platform billing. And then what's going to happen there then is that people are really going to get to A-B test that and see how it performs. And I think for a lot of people who don't have the, the brand awareness of a Spotify, when they hit the Spotify billing and they have to go into a credit card, they have to uh, go through the hassles, they're, they're going to find a much lower conversion rate. And then, then it's going to take a long time to then also understand what, you know, is churn going to look different? But then, but then you, you're somewhat uh, conflicted with the data because uh, that higher intent to go ahead and enter the credit card may actually mean lower churn. It's going to take a lot of analysis to understand long term what's really performing better. Uh, but all signs continue to point to the low hanging fruit, like Josh was saying. It's like when it's just so simple, your credit card's already on file, uh, you just make it happen. And then one quick other point, uh, a small aside um, on iOS, Apple Pay is a really simple way to pay. Um, unfortunately for subscriptions, there's this little caveat, and I, I need to like write a blog post on this, but uh, Stripe confirmed it with me, is that um, with Apple Pay, the, the payment tokens are tied to the device. So if I drop this in the pool tonight and I went and got a new device, my any subscriptions that I had through Apple Pay will get reset. So you'll have involuntary churn from people just switching devices. So if 25% of people a year 
are uh, upgrading their device, which is, I think it's either 20 or 25% on average upgrade their device every year. And then you have maybe 10, 20% that, that lose the device, need a screen replacement or whatever. You're gonna have a certain amount of built-in involuntary churn because the Apple Pay tokens are device uh, uh, specific. Maybe Apple and Google, I mean, maybe Apple and Stripe will be able to solve that and have some way to refresh the tokens, but that's something not a lot of people know about. So, so even on the web payments, where it seems like, oh yes, Apple Pay is perfect because it really is just one type tap. They don't have to enter their credit card. It's already on file. Everything's great. Uh, there's caveats there too, and the devil's in the details. Yeah, I think the, the Google-Spotify partnership program was announced right after the DMA kind of went through the negotiations, is that Yeah, I think that's correct? the right. I think that's the right timeline. Right. So it seems like there's a dotted line between yeah. those two events. Yeah, I mean, sure. uh, look, I think what I see is basically the the folks that need the margin the most, which is the mid mid tier to long tail, are going to have the most trouble finding value in a lot of this stuff because of yeah, if, even if I'm boutique and I have 199 transactions or whatever, but I, my scale is massive, then I can, can support all the resources and complexity to, to support external payment. But whether it's custom deals with, this, with the stores or whatever you want to call it, um, or you know, doing it directly with and needing a ton of resources, it's going to be the, you know, the, the, the top of the market. But, but I mean, this is an opportunity actually where I think we will see a lot of movement in the space over the next few years. Like surely Stripe's gonna figure out the tax remittance in the next 12 to 18 months where they have a more end-to-end -end solution to take a lot of the pain away. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm hopeful that solutions will present themselves to, to, to uh, soften some of the challenges that are, that are in the details because as I said, I mean, I think long-term, uh, you know, me speaking more specifically for subscription apps, it's a, it's a higher dollar, uh, you know, you're usually making an annual commitment and it's 30, 60, 90 dollars a year. So it's a much higher transaction. So you really do get closer to that, like, you know, 2%. Uh, so I think it's going to be an important part of app strategy. But I think the important part is like figuring out where app store billing does really win and then figuring out where the web uh, payments do really win. And then, uh, and you've talked a lot, Eric, about personalization in app. And I think this is one key area where if, if they are, if, alternate payment sources are allowed. I think there's gonna be a lot of personalization around who gets shown the, the two options versus who do you just shove to the lowest uh, intense, easy payment system. Yeah, well, but the other, so this is the, to, to, to take the other side of the argument about friction and like the impracticality of off-platform payments. Um, you know, if you can drive that value up on the website, you could potentially make up for it with a discount and yeah. an incentive in the app, right? So, and like a bundle or something. Yes, exactly. Because yeah. the thing about the app store is that it's actually like very, very terrible store management software, right? Like there's a limited number of IAPs you can register in your app, um, you know, and, and so which just makes it really difficult to do like full personalization. It's tough to even like AB, you know, they just recently introduced like AB testing for the actual app store listing, but on the web. You know, if you want to push an and if you want to push an app uh, app update, you've actually got to you know submit you know the 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 bundle to Apple and wait through the approval process. If you want to change a website, you know in most in yeah. most I you know uh, you know in, in most web development platform or programs, you just you know press like Control Enter or whatever and it's updated, right? And so the the fact of the matter is like that's just like a much more flexible canvas for optimization. So if you do drive people to a web store, you can sell them whatever you want, right? All you have to do is make that available. 
in in the app content, but you don't have to register that thing, whatever it is, a bundle of stuff, a totally customized, uh, 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 you know, sort of purchase for that user. It could be customized from like uh, a utility standpoint. It could be customized from a cosmetic standpoint in ways that it can't be in the app because you'd have to register each one of those individual products uh, as 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 being you know sort of like available in the app, right? And so I think that canvas of customization does provide you with the ability to like really build high value products for sale to users. And then there is more leeway to sort of provide a discount that incentivizes going out of app. But again, like that's not, you know, the use case for like casual game 99 cent IAP. That's something like much more uh, sort of higher tier, right? And not every developer could, could insert that organically into their app. So we have to talk more about the country by country carve outs because I mean, there's the Netherlands, there's South Korea. Um, are there others? Other there's Japan. Ones? Japan, Japan went, but that was glo that was applied globally, so that right. was about reader apps. But um, but yeah, I mean, is so kind of a two part question, and I'm going to weirdly answer the first part, and then you guys can discuss. But um, so, are all of these country by country rules like? kind of what finally forces the platforms to make global policy changes. And then my own follow-up to my own question is like maybe, and I'm putting on like a tinfoil hat, but like maybe all of this regional complexity is kind of just playing into the platform's hands because the more complicated that all of this is, the less likely uh, developers, particularly game developers, casual game developers, are going to do any of this because it's an enormous pain in the arse. Well, I'll speak to that. So the the Japan Fair Trade Commission, um, that ruling, Apple or that compromise they made with with Japan, um, they decided to do it globally when they could have done it individually. So I think there is some desire, and Apple. I mean, <laughs> Apple has been very obstinate about all of this. So I think they're going to fight every little thing tooth and nail. Um, that one was fairly minor. It that was with the email thing. So the Japan Fair Trade Commission uh, compromise was that if you collect an email in app, what you send outside the app is not in Apple's purview and they cannot control it. And they, they applied that globally. So I think for some policies, for simplicity's sake, of their own enforcement and their own internal systems, I think they will roll it out. But I think, uh, you know, like if the EU forces sideloading, I think Apple is a kind of company that is going to figure out a way to only allow that to happen in the EU, not for simplicity's sake, but because they don't they, they want to give as little ground as they can. Um, and so I, I do think the I mean you know at Revenue Cat since we like solve for a lot of that complexity we're it's like great regulate <laughs> like it's going to bring us more business. Um, but for developers, exactly right. And, and what Josh was saying earlier, it's like the bigger team you have, the bigger, I mean, it seems like so many of these regulations the past few years, all they do is they entrench the bigger players. It makes it harder for small app, up and coming apps to, to advertise because of ATT. It makes it harder for smaller apps to do web payments. It makes it harder for smaller apps to offer web payments in the EU, but not in the US. And so I think there'll be a combination of just the big guys get bigger and it's always easier for the big apps. But then I think there will be opportunities to solve some of that complexity through SaaS tools um, that's, that, that help provide those different experiences in different countries. But yeah, I mean, Google, Google seems to really be much more... I mean, they've been following Apple and some of the hardcore, like you must implement in it. to making changes. But they're, yeah, they're kind of coming along a little more. They're, they're dropping the subscriptions to 15%. They're, they're acquiescing and like 
really kind of giving some more than inches here and there. And Apple is like just not giving an inch on pretty much anything. Yeah, I mean, I think a couple of things. One, uh, you know, I think it's going to take a policy coming from like a you know significant region like the U.S. or, or you know all of Europe. I mean, if you look at the, the thing with the Netherlands, ironically, is that we talk about it as a big deal, but like the fine was like fifty million dollars a week or something, which is like I think it was ten no, million. No, max is five million a week up oh, to million. up to fifty. Yeah, which million. is like yeah. who can nothing. I mean, it's a joke. Yeah, it's Apple. like Apple. You know, it's a not even a rounding error. So I think. Uh, you know, you give in in one place, then the sort of dominoes fall. So I don't see anything happening uh, until there's some, you know, one of the key markets sort of forces their hand uh, to kind of move things forward. Yeah, but I agree with you, Allison, that like the more complex it is, the less that like the, the more problematic it is for the developers, right? Because you're not going to keep track of country by country regulation and legislation. You're just going to hew to Apple's global policies, right? And um, you know, the, the, the thing about uh, the Netherlands was like, you know, they said, okay, Apple said, okay, we'll allow you to do this. And you have to publish a separate SKU in the Netherlands. Remember, this is, we're also talking about dating. Yeah, it's only category. dating. And only, and only for dating. So this is like, so the applicability was already small. But then they, they actually did relent that, be, relent on that point because uh, the, the, the Netherlands uh, uh, competition authority said, look, you're not com in compliance here, thus the fine. And so they came back and said, okay, you don't have to do a separate SKU. And there was also a, a pop-up modal, very uh, redolent of the ATT prompt that just scared Danger. The, scared the shit out of you about wanting to continue with this purchase. Like, you know, we can't, you know, no promises here. We're not facilitating this transaction. We don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Which is true, own. but it's like very, yeah, um, I, I just mean, it's it's couched it's aggressive. in very it's intimidating. scary yeah, language. Like, it's unnecessarily intimidating. I mean, it's not, obje it's not objective, right? And so, like, you know, they, they got their hand slapped on that as well and they toned that down, but they still have it, right? So, I mean, I think there's just there's just ways that like all this complexity and like especially, you know, to, to David's point, like if you're a small developer, there's no way you can keep up with this, even if you wanted to, right? And now, now there might be like SaaS tools that come in, you know, and for, for one thing, it's like bewildering that Stripe doesn't already manage like local tax policy. Like that's insane. That's their whole point of existence is to process transactions. I don't understand how that's not like already a feature. That because it's weird. really hard <laughs> for Stripe. But how many yeah. gajillions of dollars have they raised? It's, I mean, like, and it's what they do. It's yeah. what they do. It's their whole shtick. Yeah, they they need to solve that. But you know, I mean, as much as I dog on Apple, like as an indie developer, I've paid Apple probably closing in on a million dollars in, in the thirty percent. Now I'm now in the small business program for my apps because they're not doing especially well right now. My my personal side project apps. But, you know, I honestly never begrudged Apple that 30% personally. I know, like, for big apps, you know, it's a difference. But when I started in 2008, not having to deal with that complexity, it, it blew my mind when I launched my first app and I got a sale in, like, Turkey and I got something in Germany. And, like, I didn't have to think about compliance. I didn't have to think about taxes. I didn't have to think about anything. And, and, and maybe the world's changed enough where that doesn't feel fair but they have, I mean, they have a right to something. And I think what's really tough in all this like regulatory pressure is that I personally still think they have somewhat of a good argument that they need to be able to monetize their IP. It just so happens that historically they monetize it through the 30%. 
And now you have Bank of America and Uber and like all these massive apps that are getting a ton of value from the platform paying 99 bucks a year. And then you have all these other apps and me having over a decade paid mil Apple a million dollars. I'd love to have that money back. And I'm going to get a little bit of it back in the app store settlement <laughs> later this year. Um, 15, but $15, Shaq. Yeah. No, it's, no, actually, I think I'm, I'm going to end up in the, I'm going to get like 50K back, I think, something in that ballpark. Uh, so it's not insignificant. Uh, but my point being, there's, there's a lot of nuance here. Like Apple does a lot. They they solve for a lot of simplicity. They they solve for a lot of these complexities. They make it super easy. People have their credit cards on file. A lot of people underestimate the the dunning side of things. Like when you when you collectively have millions of developers out there saying, "Hey, your your subscription failed this month. You need to go update your credit card with Apple. Your your iCloud billing stops, and you go update your credit card." Like those kind of collective dunning things, like Apple's payments have value, but what's really tough to suss out is like, how can Apple in 2022, in the face of this regulation, revamp their entire way they monetize the platform? It's a, it's a really tough challenge. So, so in one way, I was saying like Apple's super obstinate and like not giving an inch, but on the flip side, it, it's really hard to, to make a change at this point, but I'm curious to see what happens as the regulatory pressure continues and maybe they have a skunk works thing in the works to, to figure out a better way to, to, to charge somebody like Bank of America who gets incredible value from the platform more and charge, uh, you know, Candy Crush less. Although I'm, I'm much less sympathetic to uh, the Fortnite of the world selling trinkets that are infinitely reproducible, having to pay Apple 30% versus a Spotify that has to pay like real licensing fees on every user that's that's signed up to the platform. So there, there's like huge business economic differences between different categories on the App Store, and the and the 30% doesn't account for any of that. And that's one of my big frustrations, even though over the last five or ten years, like they should be making more accommodations in that way if not across the entire platform yeah i think that's one of the the key points here too is like it's actually funny because i i wrote this article and i published it the day that att was announced and it was defending apple as not <laughs> the a day monopoly the music died yeah <laughs> yeah and and i just sort of never revisited that argument again but um but it was basically going through like all the arguments that people made that apple is, is a monopoly right and and or needs to have this you know sort of monopoly access to payments in their environment um, broken up. And, and the idea being that, well, this hurts consumers, right? Because if you got rid of the 30% fee, then, then people would charge less for the IAPs. And that's actually not true for any digital product, right? Where there's zero marginal production cost, right? What developers would do is they would keep the extra money. They'd say, wow, that's cool. I just got extra money for these payments. And then, and then the sad thing is most of that extra money they make would just go right back to Facebook and Google right? because it would just increase ad spend. Right, it would just increase the LTV, and so they'd bid higher, and, they, and then they'd probably, that would just evaporate because everyone's LTV would go up at the same time, and so they'd all be bidding higher. And so it would be like net-net, sort of, sort of like no more money in their pocket, but it would just higher sort of like, like you know, top-line revenue. But, but the argument there is like it's, it's, you know, on its face, it's just ridiculous that like their prices would drop for consumers because like if I've set a price for something – that cost me nothing to make and to transact because it's a digital product, it's a digital, like an IAP that's a, a digital product in my app. Well, then I've already set the price to, at the sort of like optimal, you know, sale, the uh, level to sell, you know, to, to produce maximum revenue. 
right? And so if, if I decrease it, that would just change the equilibrium, right? So like I, that wouldn't necessarily, like you wouldn't change it. You've already priced it to be, to be to, to like maximize revenue there. And so all, all that would do is just put like, because I think people forget like the app store environment, there's, there's three parties to it. It's not Apple and the consumer, right? It's Apple, the developer and the consumer and Apple operates the marketplace. It's really the consumer interact, interfacing with the, the, the consumer, it's, it's the um, developer inter interfacing with the consumer directly. And that was part of, you know, some of the arguments is like, well, no, this marketplace is actually interfa interfacing with the consumer directly. No, it's not, not really. I mean, they facilitate the payment, sure, so they do. But actually, it's, it's when you're playing one of these games, you're interfacing with that developer directly, and they're not going to change their prices if they get a lower uh, rake on the App Store fee. That's something I was actually surprised Apple didn't hit on harder in the Epic uh, trial, is that App Store billing is actually very consumer friendly. It is so easy to cancel, which, which is actually kind of a drawback for developers. I was just talking about that with somebody else today. It's like, if they're subscribed to your app, and it's in their list, and let's say they stop using Noom for some reason. They go to the App Store to cancel Noom. Well, they see five other apps they're subscribed to, and they're like, oh, oh, well, I haven't used that one in a while. Just unsubscribe. So for developers, there, there is maybe some downside there. But for consumers, their billing system is is very consumer friendly. They have a they've it, it's been worse in the past, but it's actually very easy to get a refund. Um, they've made it, they're super generous, which, which again, like we as developers, it, it's frustrating because we can't directly offer a refund on Apple. We can on, on uh, Google, um, but Apple's very generous with refunds. So if a customer of mine emails me and says, hey, I need a refund, I say, hey, go talk to Apple. They're very generous. Tell them I said to give you a refund, whatever. And it, it's ultimately a very consumer-friendly way to do platform billing. And I think that that's kind of underrated as well as a consumer benefit of the payment system. And also, I think for being able to offer you know, products to 150 countries has significant consumer benefit for countries right. that you know, these people would never have access to because they're not in tier one markets. And I think, as like you mentioned, you made the app, you're being, having people transact in all these places. You would never focus or support that you know, yeah. without that sort yeah, of payment nothing. infrastructure. Yeah, and Apple, uh, I mean, again, another thing a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, Apple has payment um, uh, uh, partnerships with all sorts of different payment providers all across the world. Like, it, it, they have a pretty sophisticated system that if you're in, you know, Africa, it's it, you can bill through your cell carrier through, for your App Store payments. And then, you know, that right now, they're having to handle all the complexity around the, the Indian law around um, not doing renewing subscriptions over a certain price. And, like, there's a lot of complexity that they handle on behalf of developers to accept payments in these 150 countries and do all the regulatory compliance and remit, remit the taxes and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot to it. So I know it's not my podcast, but we're over. We're done. Oh. I'm, oh. I'm ending us. We've, we've run out of time. Okay. But I, I did have one last question. Apologies um, to the next speaker. Just like yes or no um, answers around. to this. But like does, so we've been talking about all of this detailed, nuanced stuff. I mean, does any of this stuff like just materially change the competitive landscape on mobile? Um, I mean, the winners kind of feel like they've already won a little bit, not to be a downer. I think it's definitely harder to grow an app today post ATT. It's harder to accept web payments. Like there's just a lot of stuff that's gotten harder over the last few years. So a lot of these policies, 
GDPR and all these other things do end up favoring larger apps. Larger apps have way more traffic, so the the uh, predictive um, uh, attribution and things like that are just so much easier if you have more traffic. So I think it, it genuinely is harder than ever to scale from a million dollars in ARR to a hundred. Um, whereas I think you know some of these early players who got there in the last five years had a lot easier uh, a go at it. So I, I do think a lot of this is reinforcing that lead. Not a yes or no answer. I'll say Aaron. no. I'll say no. Sorry. No. All right. Well, wah wah. We're finished. <laughs> Thank you.